And good morning. It is good to be back with you. And uh, after traveling again, uh, many of you know that I spent the last couple days in the heartland of America uh, in, in Winterset, Iowa, uh, to be there with one of our uh, beloved deacons' wives, Ginger Bertoff. And uh, her husband, Ginger, uh, uh, Claire, passed away. I think many of you know that. And and I appreciate this church giving me that opportunity to go up there. And, you know, it, it's the furthest that I've ever traveled from memorial service outside of my own grandfather's. It was a unique circumstance. Uh, Claire and Ginger have been a, a huge part of this church family and this church body as he served here as a deacon for years. And uh, he had gone back home just two years ago. To, to He wanted to be on his family farm uh, where he grew up uh, when he uh, took his last breaths. And so thank you for that. It is uh, for giving me that privilege of being there. Today, we're going to be looking at John chapter 17. We are concluding Jesus' prayer uh, right before he goes to the Garden of Gethsemane. Uh, this is a, a part of Jesus' final address uh, to the the disciples, the 11 disciples, Judas had already left. And so from John 14, really through John 17, he is teaching them. The last chapter of that teaching, though, John 17, is Jesus' prayer for himself, Jesus' prayer for the disciples we talked about last week, and then Jesus' prayer for us. Now, there are some uh, unique things that come out of this prayer that, that I think that we can learn from as Jesus prays for us, and, and uh, that's what we're going we're gonna to be looking at today. Today is also uh, American Independence Day. You know, usually I just refer to this date as July 4th. Uh, we all know what it's about, uh, but it is the day that we celebrate uh, the Declaration of independence. And I say it that way because uh, the Declaration of Independence was finalized uh, by the, the group of men who had gathered there on July the 2nd. And it, there's an interesting tidbit. Benjamin Franklin, who was there, wrote his wife the next morning on, on, on July the 3rd saying that July the 2nd should forever be a day of celebration of pomp and parade and, and uh, uh, celebration of what is going on for the birth of this new nation, not, he didn't realize that though it was voted on July the 2nd, it wasn't until it had been printed and read in the streets on July the 4th that the, the people knew then uh, that this declaration had been made. And then above and beyond that, uh, not all of the 56 signatures were affixed on that day. Uh, most of those, or many of those signatures, weren't added until August of 1776, and the final one, not until December. And uh, though I don't uh, desire to bring a history lesson today, there's some things that I, I want to use uh, this day in some ways as a parable to, to teach us or, or to illustrate what Jesus is teaching us in John chapter 17. So let me lead us in a word of prayer, and then we will uh, we'll look at that passage. Father, we thank you for your love for us, and we thank you that certainly today is a day we celebrate the founding of this nation. And Lord, though we know that there is no perfect nation, uh, we don't live in a theocracy, uh, Lord, we are grateful for a nation that we can come and worship you in relative peace and without a threat uh, to our lives because of the principles upon which this nation was founded. But Father, there are some things that we can learn today from your word and, and as it's illustrated by what took place in 1776 and 1877 or 1787. 
Lord, I pray that your spirit would teach us today. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. One of the things that, I, I, that is often uh, misunderstood about the founding of our nation, and you hear this on both sides now, you'll hear some people argue that the signers of the Declaration of Independence were all Christian men with deep, founded Christian beliefs, just like your beliefs and my beliefs. Well, immediately right there, we ought to worry a little bit because out of this group in here, there's a whole bunch of us that we believe things a little bit differently, right? Your beliefs don't exactly line up as my beliefs do. Now, you'll hear others who would argue that those who were our forefathers weren't Christian at all, but they were deist. And neither one of those extremes is the truth. The truth is that all of the signers of the Declaration of Independence, to some extent, considered themselves to be Christians. Now, you and I may read their beliefs and say, for some of them, man, that guy really wasn't a Christian. Thomas Jefferson published his own Bible where he went through the New Testament. He took out every miracle in the New Testament because he didn't believe uh, in miracles. And many of our forefathers, though they were born and identified with a particular denomination or church, had bought into a prevalent uh, philosophy of the day that you, you'll hear it referred to as deism. It was almost an atheistic type belief that removed the miracles uh, from Scripture. And, and many of them had that belief. And yet, uh, they, if you ask them if they were Christian, just like most people in America 20 years ago at least, they would have said, yeah, I'm a Christian. Fifty-six of the signers of the Declaration of Independence uh, were Episcopalians, uh, which was really the Church of England in America. Uh, so 32 of them, over half, uh, 13 of them were Congregationalists, much like us. They might be uh, uh, Dutch uh, reform congregationalists, or they, uh, they may be Quakers, but they were, in fact, there was, I believe, only one Quaker that was there that day. There were 12 Presbyterians. Uh, there were two Quakers, two Unitarians, and one Roman Catholic. Uh, and uh, this information comes from an article written by a, a historian named Gregory Elder who, who looked up. Now, ultimately, here's what I want to begin to illustrate by this. Did you hear all of the various denominations represented? <laughs> We had the, the, the Southern Baptist Convention in Nashville, Tennessee, uh, two weeks ago, and you can't get a group of 20 Baptists together, let alone 56, to agree on anything, let alone everything, or something as important as this Declaration of Independence, where when they signed it, they were going to put their, their lives and their sacred, their, their fortunes on the line. They were, they, in fact, they, they believed, many of the, the signers believed that they were going to hang for treason for signing this Declaration of Independence, but they did it anyway because they believed in it. Well, how do you get 56 men from all of these different backgrounds, these different congregations, some of them who had left the faith, so to speak, and had, had embraced deism, how do you get them to agree on anything? That's what I want us to examine today because that is at the root of Jesus' prayer for us. John chapter 17, you find Jesus' prayer for us. John chapter 17, verses 1 through 5, was Jesus' prayer for himself and for the Father, okay? Uh, we looked at that a couple weeks ago. Nathan preached that message. Jesus' prayer was that he would be glorified uh, and that the Father would be glorified through him as he went to the cross. And then in verses 6 through verse 19 that we looked at last week, we find Jesus' prayer for the 11 disciples. 
those 11 right there before him. And we looked at that and, 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 and understood that that also applies to our prayer for Christian leaders today. Those 11 guys were going to be the leaders of the early church. So Jesus had some specific things that he prayed for those 11. Remember, Judas had already left at this point. So the 11 who were with him when he was teaching and they heard this prayer were those 11 faithful who were going to be the leaders of the early church. And then in verse 20, you hear it very clearly in Jesus' own words in this prayer. Jesus turns his attention to pray for us. He prays for those, and verse 20 says, I pray not only for these, okay, those are the 11, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. So this is Jesus' prayer for you and me, for the church, for all who would come to faith through the the launching of the church, all that would come to faith through the teaching of the apostles who were there with him that day. This is Jesus' prayer for us. And so I think it's extremely instructive when we look at what Jesus' prayer is for us. What did Jesus want most? What did he desire most for us, his church, the disciples who would come years later? Read this prayer with me. I pray not only for these, but also for those who would believe in me through their word. May they all be one, as you, Father, are in me, and I am in you. May they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. I have given them the glory that you have given me, so that they may be one as we are one. I am in them, and you are in me, so that they may be made completely one, that the world may know that you have sent me. And have loved them as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am. So that they will see my glory which you have given me because you loved me before the world's foundation. Righteous Father, the world has not known you. However, I have known you and they have known that you sent me. I made your name known to them and will continue to make it known. So that the love you have loved me with may be in them and I may be with them. Now, it does not take a master's degree in theology to grasp the first big picture prayer that Jesus had for us as a church. Jesus says it over and over again in that first paragraph, verses 20 down through verse 23. Father, I pray that my church, that those who come to know me through these disciples will be in unity, that they will walk in unity, that they will serve in unity, that they will be one like you and I are one. Well, how, how in the world uh, can, can we ever reach that place where we function and serve as one in unity? Now, go back to our illustration of the signers of the Declaration of Independence. They had a, a variety of backgrounds. In fact, there was a huge anti-Catholic sentiment all throughout uh, the colonies because the colonies uh, were primarily made up of Protestant churches. One colony was established so the Catholics would have their spot, their haven. It was called Maryland, right? Maryland was the colony established, and, the, and Catholics were there, but they, they, you know, the rest of the colonies were all Protestant. They didn't really want Catholics messing in their business. And yet, one of the signers of the Declaration of Independence was Catholic. How in the world do you get the Catholic to agree with those from the Church of England and and, and those who were Congregationalists. Here's how they came together under a common goal. Even though they may have various beliefs, 
They had a common goal. And that's one of the, 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 the most important things that we've got to understand. For there to be unity in the body of Christ, there does not have to be uniformity. We don't have to all look the same. We don't have to all believe the same thing, but we have to come together and move forward for a common goal. This is true in sports. If you have a group of people, you can bring together a group of people from various backgrounds, various levels of education, uh, various skin colors, but if they will focus on the goal at hand, each one of them to do their job so that they could win the game or win the championship, you will find a team that accomplishes its purpose. And that's true for us. We have to rally around a common goal, a common purpose. As pastor, I found that oftentimes it's easier to bring churches together and, and get churches to, to move forward if, if you're doing some type of physical construction. When we, we built a couple buildings in, when I was pastoring in May, and some of the things that we've done around here when we rallied around the construction of the nursery, uh, people will focus on that one item, and they'll, and they'll give to it, and they'll support it, and they'll, they'll, they'll try to press forward with it because it's something that you can see, that you can build. Well, what is the common goal that Jesus has called us to rally around? What is the purpose for which he has called us to walk in unity? You see it here in this paragraph twice. You see it in the middle of the paragraph, and you see it in the end of this paragraph. Look at, the, at verse 21. He says, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you sent me. And you see him express that in a little bit of a different way in the last verse in that paragraph down in verse 23. Jesus prays that you and I will come together as a body of believers so that the lost and dying world might believe that he is the Son of God, that he came from God to fulfill his purpose. That is a goal worth rallying around. Ultimately, we will not have all of the same beliefs in everything. You see, you're, you, you may read a portion of Scripture and, and, and believe something a little bit different about end times than what I believe about end times, or a little bit different about various doctrines. That's okay. Now, there are some ground that I won't give up. I believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that He ascended or descended from heaven, that He was born of a virgin, that He died on a cross, that He shed His blood for your sins and my sins. And a few days later, He rose up out of the grave. He walked around on this earth declaring His victory over death and the grave, and then He ascended to heaven to the right hand of His Father. Jesus was from the beginning, and He forevermore will be. He is the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. Those are some doctrinal principles that I won't give up. But you want to know something else? We Baptists can disagree on whether or not it's okay to play cards on Sunday. I remember when I was first pastoring at First Baptist Church May, I was doing some research on the church, and the first ever Brown County Association meeting was held in May, Texas in 1911, I believe was the date. And one of the first resolutions that the association made was they condemned card playing and going to baseball games on Sundays. Oh, what in the world are they doing? That is so far, so foreign to us. Those kind of things to me would be way down on third tier, all right? I, I, I mean, I don't, I don't even want to have an argument about that kind of stuff. We can discuss whether or not uh, to be a faithful believer, you have to be a teetotaler and never touch a drop of alcohol. I think you can argue from Scripture one way or the other. But that's, that's not 
of primary importance. So there are some things that we come to agreement on to serve together in the Lord, but we have to learn to set aside some of those things that are of less importance. And the first most important thing that Jesus lays out before us here is that we would walk in unity so that the, the world might know him. Unity requires belief in a common goal. I remember the United States of America coming together on September the 12th of 2001. Though we were so different, and still are, and we see those, those differences all throughout our nation, what was different on September the 12th of 2001 and today is on that day we focused on what brought us together, whereas today we tend to focus on our differences and what tears us apart. When we focus on the common goal, we will be able to move forward in unity. Jesus came to seek and to save those who were lost. That was his express purpose for walking on this earth. When we adopt that exact same purpose, for which he prays that we do right here in this text, when we make that our primary purpose, we will learn to do the second thing that I've listed here as we walk in unity, and that is to submit our personal preferences to the good of the goal, to what Jesus has set before us. I don't have to have it my way. Now, I joke about this. Uh, sometimes people look at me, and of course, I've been pastoring here over 16 and a half years. Well, well pastor, certainly you've been here long enough. You can influence the congregation. Don't you always get your way? Ask the personnel committee. Sometimes we we don't necessarily agree on all the specifics, do we? But it's okay because we're here for a purpose. And that purpose is that the, the lost may come to know Jesus and we can disagree on specific things. I don't have to have my way. You don't have to have your way. But you have to learn and I have to learn sometimes to submit my preferences for the good of the cause. The cause that we've been given is well worth sacrificing for. These men who signed the Declaration of Independence, some of them did hang. Some of them lost all of their wealth. They lost everything. They sacrificed it all because they believed in something that was bigger than themselves. There is nothing larger than making Jesus known to the lost in our nation. There is no greater cause than that. Sometimes, though, unity requires submission. How do we get to that place of unity? Before I move to the, to the next two prayer requests for Jesus, I want to spend just a little bit of time here, though. How do we get to a place of unity around a common cause? I want to take you back to 1787. Eleven years after the Declaration of Independence was signed, the war had already been fought, the battle for independence had been won. And some of those same men gathered together with some others. Of course, some had died during the war. But they gathered together with others for the first, the Constitutional Convention where they sought to draft the Constitution of the United States of America, the same Constitution that we live under today. And they began to work through that for five weeks, trying to hash out specifics of that Constitution. And on that, on June the 28th of 1787, 
one of the men who was at the original push for the Declaration of Independence, ben Benjamin Franklin, stood up and, and made an impassioned speech. Now, I want to tell you a little bit about Franklin that, that many of you don't know. Now, Franklin was one of those guys who was born uh, into the Church of England. Uh, he, was, he was born Episcopalian, and yet he is probably one of the two least Christian men of all the signers of the Declaration of Independence. Benjamin Franklin and his writings had adopted deism. He had moved very far from the roots of, of his faith. In fact, if, if you and I were to talk to him about taking the miracles out of the Bible and not believing that God spoke directly to some of those men, we would look at him and say, Franklin, you're not even a Christian at all. You don't sound like a Christian to us. So here you have a guy out of those 56 original signers of the Declaration of Independence who, who, was, who was far away, so to speak, from the kind of orthodox faith that you and I would hold on to. But I want you to hear some of his observations I'm not going to read this whole speech, but I want you to hear some of them, because this is instructive to us in how we come together in unity. Out of the first paragraph, he writes, our different sentiments on almost every question, <laughs> several of the last proceedings, as many knows as A's, is, methinks, a melancholy proof of the imperfection of human understanding. Now, I, want you to, I want you to focus in on this because he says, we're here and we're arguing all, over all of these petty little things. Now, Franklin is a guy who, that age of reason that we were talking about, this deism that he held to, uplifted human understanding, human reasoning over and above Scripture. That was the problem. That's why they thought they could go into Scripture and take stuff out. But here he writes, this is an illustration of the imperfection of human understanding. We indeed seem to feel our own want of political wisdom since we've been running about in search of it. I want to move down to the second paragraph. He said, in this situation of this assembly, groping as it were in the dark to find political truth and scarce able to distinguish it when presented to us, how has it happened, sir, that we have not hitherto once thought of humbly applying to the Father of lights to illumine our understanding? In the beginning of the contest with Great Britain, when we were sensible of the danger, we had daily prayer in this room for divine protection. Our prayers, sir, were heard, and they were graciously answered. All of us who were engaged in the struggle must have observed frequent instances of a superintending province, providence in our favor. To this kind of providence, we owe this happy opportunity, consulting in peace." Do you hear what he's saying? He said, guys, let me, let me, that old English is kind of hard for us to understand. Let me put it in modern English. Guys, 11 years ago we were in this room and we were drafting that Declaration of Independence and we were scared to death because we knew that if we did not have the help of God, we would not make it. We would die. We would have to surrender everything. And so, you know, remember what we did back then? Every morning we met in this room and we prayed first. We asked God to move. We asked God to establish this nation. We asked God to protect us. We asked for his help. Now remember, this is Benjamin Franklin, an avowed deist. But he now has grown old enough to begin to remember and understand. And so he goes on. The third paragraph he says, I have lived, sir, a long time. And the longer I lived, 
the more convincing proofs I see of this truth that God governs in the affairs of men. And if a sparrow cannot fall to the ground without his notice, is it probable that an empire can rise without his aid? We have been assured, sir, in these sacred writings that except the Lord build, they labor in vain that build it. I firmly believe this, and I also believe that without his concurring aid, we, will, we shall succeed in this political building no better than the builders of Babel. We shall be divided by our, local, our, our little partial local interest. Our projects will be confounded, and we ourselves shall become a reproach and a byword down to the future age. And what is worse? Mankind may hereafter from this unfortunate instance despair of establishing governments by human wisdom and leave it to chance, war, and conquest. I therefore beg leave to move that henceforth prayers imploring the assistance of heaven and its blessings on our deliberations be held in this assembly every morning before we proceed to business and that one or more of the clergy of this city be requested to officiate in that service. Do you hear the heart cry of a man who was on the periphery of his faith? A man who, who knew that unless God was, was sought out, unless this assembly humbled themselves and prayed, this nation would never be established and it would become a laughingstock. What is, the, what is it that was able to bring that congregational congress back together that they might accomplish what was set before them. They decided to lay aside their petty differences by first coming together every morning to pray. Ultimately, one of the most unifying things that you and I can do that will bring us together and help focus our, own our intentions our attention on what matters most is when we come together to pray. When we, when we seek God together. It is hard. It, I, I would say it is almost impossible for you to come together and earnestly pray with and for a brother in Christ. And to get up there from there and not have a deeper appreciation and love for them. When we gather together to pray for God to move, it, it brings unity among believers. And so one of the greatest opportunities that we have to, to unify together is to gather together to pray. When I first came here as pastor over 16 years ago, one of the things that many of you will remember, and I see it fleshed out even when I'm not there anymore, when I'm not around, every meeting that I went to, I insisted that we seek God first so that the, the personnel committee wouldn't seek their own desires, but we would seek God's desires. So that the finance committee wouldn't seek their own desires, but we would seek God's desires. Come up here on a Tuesday morning when the counters are getting ready to uh, uh, count the, the, the offerings that have been given to the church. When they sit down in, 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 a, in, a, in a way that's been devised so that there's complete accountability they sit down to, to count the finances, they always begin with prayer, recognizing that God is the provider, that he's the one who takes care of us, that God is the one who needs to oversee how every penny, every dollar is used for his glory. When we come together to pray, we will come together in unity. 
And when we remember especially to come together for the one thing that Jesus said was the purpose of unity, that the lost may know him, I believe it cements those bonds between believers. So every Tuesday night right now, We've done this since February. There has been a group of men and women who gather right here in this auditorium. Sometimes it's as few as a dozen. Sometimes we've had 50. We come here and we pray that God may move in the hearts of the lost in our community, that they might be saved. I'd invite every one of you, when you're able, to be here on Tuesday night at 630, because it's very simple. We just gather together, we point to God, and we pray for the lost. And when we're praying for the lost, it's hard to get up and backbite and argue. Jesus prayed. There's two more things here that he prayed for us as his church, though, that I want you to see. When you move down to that second paragraph, he says, Father, I want those that you have given me to be with me where I am, so that they will see my glory, which you have given me because you loved me before the foundations of the world. In that, you hear the heart of, of Jesus to be with you. Isn't that incredible? His prayer is that we get to be with him and that we get to go home to be with him. This, this last week, you know, this last weekend, I went to Winterset, Iowa to preach that service for Claire Bertoff, as I mentioned earlier. For years, Claire has always told me he'd like to take me back to his family farm. After Ginger moved up there, she's talked to me several times or reached out to me and said, hey, Dennis, you and Susan need to come up here. You need to come see it. It's beautiful up here. You know, I, I, my view of Iowa was it's flat with corn, right? I've seen corn before and I've seen flat. Uh, when I got to Iowa the first time a few years ago, I realized that's not really what it is. It is it's beautiful. The rolling hills, the, the valleys with the rivers, uh, it, it actually is around Winterset was beautiful. There's a lot of history there. But why is it that Claire and Ginger wanted me so bad to come see their home place? Well, it's just that. They, they loved me, and they wanted me to see where they were from. They wanted, me to, they wanted me to come see their home and to be with them there at their home, a place that they considered beautiful, a, a, a place that they loved dearly. And, and it was just out of the relationship that I had with, with, with a deacon and his wife and this, that, that they wanted me to see. Do you hear the heart of Jesus in his prayer for us? Heavenly Father, those whom you've given me, let me take them home. I want them to see the glory of where I lived from the foundation of the earth. I want them to see the beauty. He loves you and I so much, he wants to take us home to be with him. That's why he began this speech with the disciples back in John chapter 14. I'm going to prepare a place for you. I'm going to have your bed made. I'm going to be ready for you. And then I'm going to come again and receive you to myself that where I am, there you may be also. Why is it that Jesus prayed this prayer? Because at this point, he had not died and rose again. There was not and could not be a pathway for Jesus to take those whom he loves to his house because of our sin. And so Jesus prayed, Father, make a way for me to take them home. This goes along with what he prayed in John 17, verses 1 through 5, that his glory might be known. His prayer was that he could take us with him, those whom he cares most about. Why did Jesus come? To seek and to save those who were lost. Jesus' prayer was that he could take us to his home.
that we could see his glory, that we could reside with him forever in his place where he had lived from eternity before he stepped on this earth to where he was going to be forever. And that was his desire for us. Do you hear his love in that prayer for you and I? He wants us to go home and be with him. And he extends that offer to every single one who would put your faith and trust in him. If you'll put your, if you'll believe in what he did for you on the cross, put your trust in the resurrection and repent of your sins and turn to follow Christ, he wants you to be, to go home with him. Now, ultimately, our sin disqualifies us from being able to live in his perfect heavenly home. But his blood will cover that sin if we'll put our faith and trust in him. And so his prayer for the Father is that he might take us home to be with him, to see him in his place of glory, and to live with him for all of eternity. That's his prayer for every single believer. And then finally, he prays that we would make him known around the world. Now, this goes back to what we've already said, uh, back in the first uh, paragraph, but hear it again in verse 25 and 26. Righteous Father, the world hasn't known you. The world, at this point, the world really had not seen the fullness of God's glory. The greatest picture of God's love. The world had not truly known the Father the way that Jesus had known the Father. Jesus knew the Father's love more deeply, more fully than anyone in the world ever had. And so Jesus' prayer, the night before he is arrested and goes to the cross, is that the world might know the Father, and that the world might know the Father through us. So Jesus' prayer for us is that the Father, as the Father uses Jesus and the cross to demonstrate his love, so that the world could know the true heart of the, the Heavenly Father who loves them so deeply. We would never understand the depth of God's love were it not for the cross. Scripture says that repeatedly. God demonstrated His love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It was on the cross that we come to know the deep abiding love of God for His creation. Jesus says, Father, I want them to know you the way that I know you. And so his prayer for you and me, once again, is that we make his name known. Just as Jesus came to make the name of the Father known, that we make his name known. Now, that won't happen unless we learn to walk together in unity to fulfill the purposes of God. But Jesus' prayer for us, I want you to hear this, is first, unity that we love one another and walk together in unity, that we can spend forever <laughs> with him and see him and his Father like they really are in all of their glory. And then third, that we make his name known, that we make him famous, that people will, will, will hear from us the beauty of God's love. They'll hear from us the good news of the, the gospel of Jesus Christ, that they will see in us a love for one another, and that they'll see in us a love for a lost and dying world to such an extent that it will make him famous. That is worth rallying around, church. Sometimes our petty differences 
Our, our, our human doctrinal schemes are not worth fighting over. But the, the, the desire to make Jesus known, to proclaim the gospel so that the lost might get to go home with him, that they might be saved. And those whom Jesus loves, he can take them home to see him in all of his glory. That's worth fighting for. That's worth arguing over. You know, those 56 signers of the Declaration of Independence, they had to make a decision. Is this worth it? Is it worth pledging my life, my fortune, and my sacred honor with the hopes of establishing a nation of, characterized by freedom, freedom of religion and freedom of thought? Was it worth it? They decided that a physical nation on this earth was worth that sacrifice, was worth that pledge. Let me ask you, nations will rise and nations will fall. There will be a time when there is no longer a United States of America as we've known it. That's, all you have to do is look at history. The greatest of empires eventually have fallen, but the kingdom of God will not fail. It will not fall. So if, it was, if it's worth it to lay aside our petty differences, for these men to lay aside their differences, to sacrifice their fortunes, to give up their lives for such a cause, how much more ought you and I be willing to lay aside our differences, be willing to sacrifice for the cause of Christ? that people might gain eternal life, that they might be able to walk in a relationship with him in his place of glory that was established before the foundations of the world forever. If you have, have never made that decision to put your faith and trust in that Christ, you've heard the gospel today in this message. Jesus died on a cross he shed his blood so that you could have forgiveness of sins and you could have eternal life. If you have never put your faith in that, believed that, and decided that you were going to follow him as your Savior, I implore you to do that today. To come and to simply say, Lord, I, I want to follow you. I believe your word is true and I want to follow you. But Christian, Far too often we focus on our differences and not focus on the cause to which Jesus has called us. My call to us as a church is to commit ourselves to be wholly committed to the cause of Christ, that the lost might be saved, and that those whom Jesus loves would be able to go home with him and spend eternity with him forever. That's our cause. That ought to be on our lips every single day. That ought to be on our hearts. That ought to be our prayer. If you are struggling with unity with your brothers and sisters in Christ, I plead with you to gather together and pray with them. Lift them up before the Lord. Pray for them on your own. Pray with them when you're together. And you'll find that God will bring you together for what matters most. I want you to stand with me as Matthew and the worship team come. They're going to offer a him of response. If you have never made that decision to, to follow Christ as your Lord and Savior, I, I'd like to talk to you about it. Maybe you already have. 
Maybe you've prayed to receive Christ, and you've never made it public. You'd like to make that public. You want to be baptized. I'd love to talk to you about that as well. But this is your opportunity. It's your chance to respond. But it may be that there's some differences between you and a brother. You've had some conflict. You just need to come pray for them. The altar's open for you to come and pray. I'll be down front if you want to pray with me. The altar's open if you just need to bring your heart to, to the Lord.